So with that introduction, we're going to jump right into the first of the Psalms in this series called The Most Famous Psalms. And uh, that first one is Psalm 1. Now, because it stands right at the head of all the Psalms, it's sometimes called the gateway to the Psalms, right? It's a, it's a wisdom psalm. And it's one of those ones that it's just so uh, characteristic of the wisdom. And so it's anonymous, technically. And so it's as if Psalm 1 stands there with arms outstretched over the entire uh, collection of psalms, including the 149 psalms that follow. Now, life is full of choices. And we have so many choices to make as we go through a life. Some are easy Right, Like we get up in the morning and what do I wear? What do I have for breakfast? How do I respond to that annoying text? You know, there's all these different kind of smaller choices that we make in the day. And there's bigger choices that we have as well. Um, who do I date? Uh, what career do I have? What town do I move to? What are my ultimate priorities going to be? These are bigger uh, decisions. And so life can feel just like it's this... <laughs> <laughs> this decision after decision after decision. And we also start to roll around in our minds all the possible outcomes from the decisions that we will make. I was recently reading about uh, chess. Apparently, the total number of variations or permutations in the first 10 moves and possible outcomes is this number. 0 and of course, I had to look up how you actually say that number, and so this is how you say it. 169,000 septillion, 518,000 sextillion, 829,000 quintillion, 100,000 quadrillion, 544,000 trillion. Wow, that's a big number. And so life can feel like that. Uh, there's choices and choices and so many outcomes from the choices that we make. And the reason I start like this is because Psalm 1 sets before us uh, a basic choice that we need to make. And Psalm 1 says it like this, it's between the path or the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And if we don't get that choice right, well, all the other choices won't really matter. A fundamental choice in the midst of all the other ones. Now, as we get into this, as we talk about in verse 6, it says the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, we should really understand what we're talking about, some definitions. So what does it mean that someone is righteous? Now, as I mentioned with the kids' time earlier, to be righteous is to be right with God and to be right with others, to live in a way that is like that. Okay? To be wicked, rather, is, is to disobey God or even further, to delight in disobeying God. Okay, so righteousness, living in a way that is right before God and others, and wickedness, disobeying God and delighting in disobeying God. So with that introduction, we're going to jump right into our first psalm, Psalm 1, and I'm reading from the ESV translation of the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up with us, and we're going to track along only six verses, and it starts like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now we're going to pause right off the start because we need to understand what's going on. So it starts by talking about someone who is blessed. Blessed is the man. So what does it mean to be blessed? It means to be favored by God, to be receiving God's favor. So if you think about how you are in relationship with God, you want to be in that position. You want to be in a position of favor, not in a position of disfavor. Right? So that kind of sets the tone for things. Blessed is the man. Now, it says man, but in Hebrew, sometimes the word man functions like a representative figure. So, uh, and this is one of those cases. So it's, it says man, but it could be man or a woman. So it's for all people. Blessed is the man who walks not 
So right out of the gate, we're told the negative example, not the positive example. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Pause. So here's what that means. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. They don't take their advice from people who uh, are going against God and dishonoring him. They don't stand in the way of sinners, meaning they don't really spend all their time with people who are consciously going against the ways of God. They don't sit in the seat of scoffers, so they're not really taking up residence with, with people who are dishonoring God with their mouths and with their lips and uh, uh, using their words in a very ingracious way with, with other people. And notice that the verbs walking, standing, sitting, there's a comprehensiveness. So, so God's people are going to seek to be comprehensive in avoiding these types uh, of things. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a well-known English preacher, uh, asked, who, who are these people? And this is what he says. Who are these? These are the scoffers, the people who stick out their tongues at everything that is sacred and holy and sanctified. These are the people who scoff at morality and decency, and they call it self-expression. And uh, he wrote that um, a decade or two before I was born. Like, it seems very current that he said that, but that certainly stands. Continuing, here's the contrast. Blessed is the man, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay, so this is the contrast. This is the positive side of the His delight is in the law of the Lord. So what is the law of the Lord? Uh, this is the Hebrew word Torah, or instruction of Yahweh, the instruction of the Lord. So what does that mean? It's definitely a reference to the first five books in the Bible, uh, the first five books of Moses. Um, it would have extended to the words of the prophets, but we as Christians today can use this as applicable to all of Scripture. These are all of God's instructions, all of God's teachings, okay? And his delight is in the law of the Lord. So delight, it's not dry duty, it's delight. So what do you delight in? Do you delight in going for a walk with a friend? Do you delight in checking off something from your bucket list? Do you delight on a Friday night having a glass of wine, watching a beautiful sunset? Um, do you delight seeing your team advance to the second round? You know, you know it was coming. I could not not say something about that. <laughs> delight. Um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So the person seeking the way of the righteous is, is learning how to delight in the instructions of God. What, what are they and have this hunger for them? I want to know what they are and, and how they apply to my life. I want to see me living those out and see how that blesses other people. So the person on the way of the righteous is learning to delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, he meditates on it day and night. Day and night, does he set his alarm at 3 a.m. or does she set her alarm at 3 a.m. to get up and do this? No. This is a biblical way of talking about comprehensively. Consistently they are doing this. And they meditate on it. So when we hear the word today and we hear that word meditation, we can almost think of like some Eastern spiritual practice or something. And that's not really what is meant here. Uh, the Hebrew word here is Hagah. So Hebrew language scholar Robert Alter says this is really like a, a low murmuring sound or a low muttering sound. Uh, it's interesting, actually, the idea of reading quietly, silently, is a modern idea. In the ancient times, people didn't do that. People read out, to read was to read out loud. Like, it was, it was unheard of to, to do it silently in your head. 
But the idea was like someone is, is, is muttering or murmuring God's laws and instructions and teachings as they go about their day. Oh, someone's saying, what are they doing? Are they talking to themselves? Are they losing it a bit? Or do they have like an invisible earpiece in, you know, in their ear and they're actually having a conversation or a call with someone? No, someone's going around kind of reciting the instructions and teachings of God. That is the extent to which they love this. Now, uh, I, found, I came across a great illustration for this, and I almost don't want to show it to you because it comes from an Instagram reel story, and I, I don't want you to think that I'm always going around watching, you know, spend all my days uh, watching Instagram stories, but uh, this was so great. Someone sent it to me. It's from Rutherford Cattle. It was posted on April 19th, and so it relates specifically to this verse and to this idea of meditating on God's Word, so I couldn't not share it. It's this rancher, he's from the south, so he's got this great accent. He's out in a field and he has found a cow skull and he's explaining how the different, uh, how as the cow gets older and the teeth develop, how that affects how it chews its food. Okay, so let's check it out. And in five years old, this tooth here on that, and this tooth here, they'll only be halfway up. Six years old, they're all the way up and she's a full mouth cow. But what happens is this right here. She only uses these teeth right here just to get out there and graze and pick it up and go on, pick up and go on. When you see that old cow laying out underneath the tree chewing her cud, well, she's chewing right, using these teeth here and these teeth right here, and she's chewing on the cud. If the cow's stomach's not working good, she'll chew that grass up and then it'll squirt out the back end. She'll start regurgitating this food back up and chewing on the cud. Then it goes back into a different compartment. She'll get all of her nutrition that she needs, and then she'll be a prosperous type cow. You go to church on Sunday mornings, and you just kind of spend your time in church on Sunday mornings, get you a little warm, fuzzy feeling, everything's fine. When you take that Word of God home, and you start using these back teeth, and you study, you meditate, you spend time in prayer, you start chewing on your cud back here. What we've got to do in the Word of God, we've got to become a prosperous people by getting the Word of God with these front teeth, but then spending time chewing our cud with these back teeth. And seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Spend time chewing your cud on the word of God and watch great things happen in your life. <laughs> Chew the cud of God's word, folks. <laughs> Chew the cud of... How good is that? You take it in, you take it, you got to chew the cud and kind of go over it again and again. And, and I don't know how the regurgitation imagery comes up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> You know, you're chewing it over and over and you're meditating, you're thinking as you go about your day, you're doing that consistently. That's how it really gets down into you, right? And I really appreciate that. Uh, again, quoting Richard Foster, again, known for a great writer in spiritual dif disciplines and drawing closer to God. Here's how he says it in a bit of a different way. What happens in meditation, like Christian meditation, what we're talking about here, Hagah, is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. Isn't that a great way to put it? So we're going over the instructions as we go through our day and maybe we've memorized something or we're studying it, we're thinking about it, we're listening to it. We're creating a spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. I love that. That's a way of thinking about chewing on the cud of God's word. Next, verse 3, he is like a tree, he or she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So what's going on here is like, now this is the positive example. This person who is like this, who meditates on the instruction of God, is like a tree planted by streams of water. So think of the context. There's lots of dry land, arid climate, etc. If a tree is way out in the desert and there's no water around, it's not going to survive very well. 
Well, it depends on the kind of tree, but for most trees. But if it's close to a stream of water, that water is going to come up through the root system and make the tree healthy. So that's like the instruction of God coming up and making us healthy as people that yields its fruit in its season. So people bearing fruit, so there's evidence of faithfulness or righteousness in our life because of that. Its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. So what does it mean by they prosper? Well, sometimes people see this and they think, well, it means financial prospering or material prospering. And although sometimes that is the case, that is not always the case. I think we need to think more broadly. And when we go through the, the Bible and you look at the arc of the teaching, you find that in the New Testament, there is often um, passages about God's people suffering hardship or persecution. So we need to keep those things in mind. I think here the fundamental thing is ultimately we will prosper because we will be given peace and eternity with God, absolutely. And at the same time, just having spoken about yielding fruit, it's like this fruit is going to prosper in our life. We can't always see how God works through us, but he does. We seek to be faithful, we seek to follow the ways of righteousness, and he takes that and he blesses the people around us in a prosperous or a successful way. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So imagine a farmer threshing wheat. Uh, you know, the heavier kernels fall down. The chaff is the unwanted stuff that just goes away in the wind. So, so think of how, like, flimsy that is. It goes away, it's unwanted, contrasted with the firmness of that healthy tree, fruit-yielding tree. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, the word knows here carries a sense of the Lord approves of, endorses the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And here's where that phrase, way of the righteous, way of the wicked, uh, that's where that comes up. And in case it has not yet been clear, uh, James Mays, a professor, says, you know, in these verses we, we learn that life is at stake. And it certainly is with this fundamental choice that's ahead of us. So this is the word of the Lord. Speed again. All right, so where do we go with this? As we think through the application of this psalm to our lives, and so I'd like to invite you to consider a fundamental idea, and here's what it is. Next. The way of the righteous is about a direction, not perfection, okay? And we need to think about this. The way of the righteous, as we have been talking about it, as it has been described to us in Psalm 1, is about a direction, not perfection perfection. And we're going to highlight a few things that kind of flushes this out, why this is the case, and which will help us on this journey. And the first is that we need to be humble. So it's about a posture. The only, only Jesus has lived the way of the righteous perfectly, right? Because as we're going through the psalm and we're listening to this, oh, this sounds great. I know the way of the righteous is good. I know that I should be doing that. But if we're being honest, we realize that we don't live like that a lot of the time. We are broken, sinful people. This is just a part of our reality. Therefore, that should compel in us a posture of humility. Only Jesus has lived that perfectly. And so Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us that Jesus is without sin. So he is the only one who has ever truly delighted in the law of the Lord. He is the only one who has ever truly been that perfectly fruit-yielding tree. Okay, so that's kind of our starting point. This is perfectly describing Jesus. First and foremost. Now we are in him. And so we need to remember though that this is central to the Christian good news and to the Christian gospel. Picture those like Russian dolls where you open one and there's a smaller one in the, in the inside. And so we're that smaller one and we go inside the bigger one who is Jesus. And so as Jesus stands before his heavenly father, 
God sees the righteousness and goodness and perfectness and beauty and purity of Jesus, and since we are in him, that is credited to us. And so we are, we are made right with God, not based on how great we are, but how great Jesus is, and we just need that reminder. He is ultimately the one described in this psalm. Second, nevertheless, you can walk in the way of the righteous and still be imperfect. So this is still a pathway for us. Right, you're reading this and you're saying, okay, wait a second, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If, if, if there's two ways, and if, if I'm imperfect and if I'm sinful and if I'm flawed, does that necessarily mean that I am on the path of wickedness? Not necessarily. And so this idea that we are all hopelessly hopeless has led some people to abandon meaningful pursuit of righteousness. That would be a mistake. Now, I'm going to share a picture up here of a, of a Bible teacher from Texas. Her name is Jen Wilkins. I put her name up there, her picture, her website. Um, because if some of you are looking for someone, you know, who, you know a, a new author to follow, or a, she's got a podcast with some others, Jen Wilkins comes out with some great stuff. She speaks at conferences, so I encourage you to, to, to check her out. Um, some of her recent podcasts, she talks with Sam Albury, Jackie Hill Perry, some other people. She's, she does great stuff. Anyway, she has coined this phrase, celebratory failureism. Celebratory failureism. And here's the idea. Because we know that we are broken and that we are sinful, and because we know that we are totally dependent upon the grace of God, some people just throw themselves at the grace of the foot of the cross and I need you, Lord, and that's great and all that is true, but because they realize they're sinful people and because they, they realize they can't fully and finally be righteous, they don't even try. In fact, they celebrate publicly their failure. Oh, I can't even do it. Why bother? I trust in your grace. It sounds nice. It sounds nice, but what it doesn't do is take seriously all the passages, including this one, that encourage us to grow in holiness in Christ-likeness. So are we dependent upon the grace of God? Absolutely. And yet, at the same time, with, with the help of God's Spirit, we are invited to grow in righteousness in a way that is right before God and others. And so each day, as we experience the sin and brokenness, we're going to come to God, ask for forgiveness, ask for His transforming power to renew us yet again. Third, as we think about the way of the righteous and how it's about a direction, not perfection, we need to know that the way is narrow, and we need to consciously choose the narrow way. And so as we think about these phrases that are used, the way, the road, the path, these come up so many times in the Bible. What does it mean? Well, really, it's a metaphor, in the words of Robert Alter, that refers to a set of moral choices. Going a certain way or a path means I'm making a certain set of moral choices, and that will lead me down a path which is decidedly narrow. Okay? Now, why do we know that? It's because Jesus specifically addresses this subject in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
And so there's a graphic on the screen of that road, and all of a sudden it goes like this. So if you are picturing, as we talk about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, if you're picturing something kind of like that, where you're kind of going along a road, then there's a fork in the road, and you need to make a decision, and there's a choice on the left, and there's a choice on the right, and those, those, choice, those roads are equally as wide, and they look the same, you would be wrong. Because really, as Jesus has described it, the way of the wicked is, is bigger, it's wide, it's broad, sunny skies, and, and there's nice shops along the side. And there's the way that is narrow, which is the way of Jesus. Fulfilling, joyful, and often difficult. Take up your cross and follow me, he says. How prepared are you to be in the minority how willing are you to choose the instruction of God instead of just what is popular? How eager are you to please God instead of pleasing people? And this can be challenging, and we need to think about this is, this is a narrow way. Most people avoid it, and few find it, says Jesus. And so if you're ever unsure or you need some, wait a second, I'm not sure which way, you go to Jesus, you go to him, you go to his teaching. He says in our own memory verse from this month, John 14, verse 6, I am the way. And so we go to Jesus. Fourth, chew on the cud of God's word. Okay, we just need the reminder. So if all this, we want to pursue the path of righteousness, if we want to do that, even though we're broken and even though we make mistakes, well, what do we do? Well, we need to chew on the cud of God's word, meditate on it all the time. What I've noticed is that people who stray or people who kind of fade away or do this or that, those are the people who are straying from the scriptures. In my experience, that's mostly been the, been the experience. And so we think about ourselves, okay, how am I making a consistent and regular pattern of digesting and chewing and rethinking and meditating on God's instructions to us? Am I reading the scriptures consistently? Am I, am I doing my best to study and understand what it says? Am I sitting under biblical preaching? Am I, am I talking about some of the insights with other people? If I listen to podcasts, am I... Am I Am I listening to one that, that helped my understanding? If I listen to music, am I choosing music that is edifying and that honors the teachings of, of God? Am I memorizing it so I can go about my day with it? Fifth, be confident that God will bless you, will bless people through you. And I think this is really important. And where do we get this from? You need to be confident that God is working through you as you travel this narrow path, this way of the righteous. And we know this because of the text. So right, people are described as the tree, Right, the fruit-yielding tree. Now think of a tree. If there's an apple tree, how do you know it's an apple tree? It has apples. Okay, so uh, the metaphor extended to people is there's fruit or evidence of faithfulness in our lives. But again, if you think of the tree, the tree doesn't eat its own apples. Animals come along and they eat the apples, or people come along and they eat the apples. Therefore, your fruitfulness, your faithfulness will be a blessing to other people, even if you can't always see it. It's a matter of faith. Your prayers will benefit the lives of other people. Your behind-the-scenes sacrifices that no one else sees and you wonder if it's worth it will benefit the lives of other people. God will use it. Your faithfulness to God, even when it is the unpopular thing to do, will be used to benefit the lives of others. Your act of kindness and mercy that people may or may not see will be used by God to bless other people. 
Your personal holiness, as you seek to live a life of personal holiness that no one else will know about, God will, in his glory, use that to benefit other people. Your humble yet unwavering commitment to the truth will be used by God to bless others. Your pursuit of righteousness will be used by God to benefit the people around you. And so to summarize, first, be humble. Only Jesus has lived the way of the righteous perfectly. Second, you can walk in the way of the righteous and still be imperfect. And you need to hear that. Third, choose the narrow way. Fourth, chew the cud of God's word. Fifth, be confident that God will bless people through you. And so, yes, there are many choices in life. So many choices. Some might say 169,000 septillion, 518,000 sextillion, 829,000 quintillion, 100,000 quadrillion, 544,000 trillion. And there are definitely a lot of choices. But among them, we should not miss the importance of the two ways set out before us in Psalm 1. And indeed, all of Psalms, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But fear not. Okay, fear not. And this is a word for the weary pilgrim, for the worrisome pilgrim, for the wobbly pilgrim. The way of the righteous is about a direction, not perfection. And so choose well. And as we go through this psalm and the psalms in general, listen intently for the ultimate man who is blessed, Jesus. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen.